So how long have you been back from L.A.? Just a couple of days. Yeah. Everyone is masked up for sure. This whole thing has been so wild. I never thought I'd live through I mean, this. <laughs> As we sit here telling stories till it's quarter after three. The details are so gory. But that's live through this. The only whole record that matters. And a pretty apt mantra for the times we live in. Welcome to Talking at the Diner, the podcast where musicians tell their stories and piss off the wait staff for taking too long to decide what they're going to eat. <laughs> Only three episodes in, and this is already an emerging pattern. Um, but what are you going to do? Anyway, hey, <laughs> I'm John Kim Fay, and I am so excited to share my conversation with my friend, Ange Boca. Um, Ange embodies so much of what I love about the musicians I'm here to celebrate on this podcast. She's a hustler, a survivor. She leaves it all out on the stage. And to coin her own phrase, she can sing her dick off. (laughs) Uh, I met Ange a decade ago when I was the host for a... Very strange little battle of the bands at Legendary Dobbs on South Street in Philadelphia, where I was also the weekly open mic host. Um, the panel of judges for this battle of the bands was seated American Idol style, back by the soundboard, and they would give immediate feedback and notes to each band after they performed. And it was it was it was odd, but it was entertaining. And um while I can neither confirm nor deny, legend has it that one of the judges pissed off my friend Bunny Savage so much that he pissed in the guy's martini when he was in the bathroom. Can neither confirm nor deny. Anyway, Ange Boca fronted this group that she dubbed Ange and the Damn Band. And (laughs) she showed up in this red varsity letterman's jacket looking um, a little like Marilyn Monroe in her senior year at Rydell High. (laughs) This is intended, of course, as a high compliment. And in the past 10 years, Ange has done her thing in Philly, New York... L.A., she's overcome adversity, loss, sexism, and now, in 2021, she is on the precipice of another new chapter in her musical life with the release of her perfect dance pop single, Red Light, which you need to stream as soon as you're done listening to this. Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy... My convo from the Oregon Diner in South Philly with South Philly's own Ange Boca. Everything is on the table when we're talking at the diner. Hey, 
know, when you're when what you do for a living is to be out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know. The only like thing about that that like, that gave me a little bit of a sense of calm is that every single artist was in that position. Like you, you're on a major label and didn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I needed a break. I, I get that. I absolutely would have wanted at this cost, <laughs> for right. sure. I mean... You want coffee? Yes. Sure. Yes, yeah, I mean, I, I was going and going, and I'm sure you know, you're a hustler. Like, I was just going and going and going and going, and I was in a really toxic work environment, and I was in a toxic relationship, and yeah. It was needed. Like, I, I, like I, someone broke up with me literally the day before it shut down, and I was like... Of course, ready to, thank you. You're welcome. Are you ready or you need to? I uh, need a few. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think I remember that happening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, my show. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I yeah. think that was the last time I actually saw you in person was at Ortlieb's. Do you all need more time? Uh, yes. yes. Thank you. <laughs> Very. Persistent. <laughs> so you went, you graduated from Arcadia? Yeah. I remember Hogwarts. that. Hogwarts. Yeah, I graduated from Arcadia. I have a degree in theater. Yes. As, as I'm sure that doesn't come as a surprise yeah. to anybody <laughs> at all. But, um, yeah, I would go to Michael's all the time. Uh, I did a lot of, like, creative. Um, we did a lot of, like, production meetings. Mm -hmm. Lots of uh, even, like, songwriting sessions at that diner. Wow. Because I just was like, where the hell else am I going to go? Where are you going to go? In Glenside, PA. Right. It's, it's um, the Willow Grove Mall and Michael's <laughs> Diner. We had this one waitress there, Deb, and we used to sit in the smoking section because we were bad. We were bad kids. When you could smoke in I the diner. I used to smoke the, the pink camel number nines because wow. I thought I was fancy. I do have to say, I give them a lot of respect for maintaining that salad bar they have there because not yes. a lot of places... Right are willing to do that. Damn, we should have went there. I'll hijack your uh, your Michael's Diner yeah. interview. Yes, okay. I'll, I'll come over and be the waitress. And I'll ask you, do you need anything? Do you need anything? Have you decided? You ready? Probably. You guys ready? All right, this is gonna be exciting. This is my first cup of coffee in a pretty long time, actually. What? I don't really drink coffee, but when I go to the diner, that's the time. You kinda have to. Uh, no, I don't want to rush you. Oh, no, 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 you're fine. Um, I, I don't think we are. I'm sorry. You're fine. I'm, like, really just here for coffee. Well, get something. I don't even know. It's it's on the show. I so. haven't even <laughs> been here in forever. It's not about the money. It's about it's about the uh, the gut. I do understand. Actually, I an old friend of mine, he lives in Texas now, and he brought his son to Philadelphia for the first time, like, a month mm -hmm. ago. He's like... Mm -hmm. He's never been to Philadelphia. What can we do? <laughs> I'm like, Did you tell him to come here? Um, well, I, I brought him here. <laughs> I brought him here because, like, this is going to sound lame, but he was like, he's never had a cheesesteak. I'm like, I really don't want to wait in line. I don't want to be the cheesesteak guy either. Oh, you know, I don't want to take him to Pat's or Gino's. I just am not about it. So I was like, you know, the cheesesteak is actually pretty good at the Oregon Diner. Yeah. And voila. what's funny about that is uh, my partner just moved back to Philadelphia, and my parents obviously are natives. They don't go anywhere but Oregon Steaks on 10th and Oregon. Oh. 
They say that that's the best cheesesteak. And he also agrees with them. I took, because I was living, I was living in uh, Kensington. Well, no, Port Richmond. God, John, I've moved so many times. <laughs> Since in the, the past, pandemic? Literally in the past year. It's wild. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I told him to go to Joe's because I was living right over there. I was like, and it was a good excuse to, you know, yeah. go over on Frankfurt near Johnny Brenna's. We went and went to Johnny's on Very Easter nice. and everything outside. Um, but yeah, my parents, uh, my parents swear by this place, and now he swears by this place over here. Might be the same steak. You Might never be know. The same situation. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Might be the same owner. Um, That's true. But yeah, I, uh, I've been. Uh, Trying my best to, I've been really trying to uh, adapt to a pescatarian diet, but uh, it has been difficult just because it's, it's, uh, I'm Italian and Irish. <laughs> Listen, I, I kind of hit what I would call like a rock bottom with all of that, like uh, about four months ago or so. Like, yeah, I, was, I know you lost a lot of weight. I, I did. Well, it's because I was laying in bed and that thing where you you exhale and it kind of goes like... Did you have acid reflux? No, it was more like my neck had grown to a state of like almost oh suffocating me oh and I was like, okay, so this is like 1 a.m. I'm like, all right, <laughs> I, I guess this, this is what bottom. rock bottom is. <laughs> <laughs> so oh I, I joined the Noom app that night. How did they not have you on the advertisements? Um, well. They have to call, call him Noom, <laughs> call him. Oh, Noom. Call the Caulfields King. <laughs> I'm excited so, that you're playing. I'm excited to be playing too. Um, it's not like the full on, you know, it's not a full court press or anything, but yeah. it's it's just, you know, just being out there has just been so nice because yeah. I thought that I had adapted to the pandemic in such a way where I could like convince myself like, I'm good. I don't need people. I'm fine. You know, that was a lie, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like the minute I got back out there and interacted with people, I was like, oh, right. I do love that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know how you felt like. Oh, mine was mine was strange because I was I felt like a drag queen singing to a track, but I wasn't in I wasn't in full drag and I wasn't like <laughs> I wasn't splitting or death dropping and. <laughs> you know, I, uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was very interesting. I decided that I was going to record pop music because I, I did, the original title of the album was going to be Trying to Get Sober During the Great Depression. <laughs> and it was going to be me screaming, which I'm still probably going to come out with some kind of record based off of this rage. You had the, the band that you had with the Smiths. John. <laughs> I've been married so many times. Hey, <laughs> who do you think you're talking to here? One of the things that like I love about you is that you cannot be pigeonholed in any way. And I and I feel like I'm a little bit that way too. And in my opinion, it's a blessing and a curse. How do you feel about that? <laughs> so I feel like specifically with music. I have no choice because 
I'll be in bands or I'll be a, I'll be a part of a project or I will um, want to see something through to the end and then, you know, people change. And I feel like I also, you know, I love the Great American Songbook, but I also am probably one of the biggest My Chemical Romance fans. I was and, say. <laughs> you know, and I love, I love screaming my head off and running around. But basically with the, uh, uh, the elasticity that I've had to have, <laughs> I was signed to a production deal when I was 19. And that's kind of how I know you because I was signed to this production deal in college and I was singing pop music. I wanted to be like Kelly Clarkson. I wanted to do pop rock. That was what I wanted to do. But I was signed with, I don't know if you know, Mike Tarsia. We met at that Battle of the Bands thing right. at Dobbs, which was, what, 10 years ago? Exactly. Yeah. It was 2011. Wow. Yeah. I was working with the people that were hosting that okay. Battle of the Bands. So Rena part of that as well? Okay. She signed me. So she found me. I did the typical Craigslist thing. I was in college. I was ready to get out. I was like, I'm ready to, ready to try a music career. I'm ready to try recording. And because um, I was still writing at the time. Um, long story short, I got signed to this production deal. And I ended up getting completely ignored during this process. Uh, my boyfriend at the time is also a musician. He came in uh, to my audition. They wanted him to sing too. They were trying to sign us as a duo. It was really lame. Uh, and then, you know, for a while, full on sexism, like they wanted to record with him and to write with him. And then they were signing me up for uh, like Weight Watchers and shit. And meanwhile, like, Adele's, like, number one on the radio right. and shit. And I'm like, it doesn't matter, guys. Like, you just have to, like, sing well. Right. Nobody cares anymore. Um, but I ended up getting ignored during that whole process. And then I'm still under this contract till like, 2014. Yes, I wasn't allowed to, like, release anything without without having to give them any credit and money, et cetera. You know how that goes. So I was... I decided during that time to start looking for backup singing gigs for live bands or some, or be a part of a recording project that my name wasn't attached so that I could still be a part of something and get yeah. my foot in the door. Sure. And I ended up finding this another Craigslist band. I swear to God. <laughs> I got into this band called The Rebel Yell, and they are a part of the Roots crew. So my first you know, backup singing gig was at the Roots studio, you know, uh, and I was pretty set on it. I thought it was going to be, I thought it was really going to go somewhere. And then, you know, the lead singer of that band was really, I think that he was just lost emotionally and he was pretty toxic and violent. I mean, we all have our moments. I'm not, you know, trying to put him down or anything, but it was my time to go. I remember being at World Cafe Live, and that was the last show I did. Like, I said something, gave him attitude or whatever, and he had the World Cafe Live booker, somebody come over, somebody posing as the booker, come over to me telling me that I'll never work in this town again, like, blah, blah, blah. I was like, Jesus Christ, can I just, like, sing without getting spanked on stage? 
I'm not a fly girl. Like I'm just not, nobody don't touch women. Just don't touch anybody. You're, you're a rapper and we didn't rehearse this and you didn't even talk to me about this. Like you literally came up to me and spanked me on stage in front of pretty much like it was like a showcase too for, um, I believe it was a showcase for like the roots crew. I don't believe the roots were there, but I know that there was, there were some pretty respected people in the audience, (laughs) you know, and I was just like, this is my debut. I'm getting spanked and I'm barely singing. Um, so I basically, after that, I, I remember I had, um, I had a phone call with Rena and she said, Hey, um, we're doing this battle of the bands thing at Dobbs. Can you get a band together? I put together a band and at the time I was friends with Rachel, who was your student. Right. Who was your student. Um, and her boyfriend at the time was an upright bassist and this guy, Ron Stoner, he was a friend of mine through a guy that I had, you know, fooled around with for a bit that I ended up writing a bunch of songs about. Um, <laughs> at least you got something out Right, of it. exactly. So he was, he played guitar. I remember like being at this guy's house that I was hanging out with and his friend Ron Stoner was there and I remember seeing him constantly picking up guitar. So like in my brain, I'm thinking, who can I put together to He's learn these songs? Band, yeah. I'm like thinking this is going to be a nightmare, but also it's going to be great. So I pieced together these guys and then I called up Barb who ended up she was drumming with the Rebel Yell. Um, shout out Barbara Duncan. Um, she's incredible. Her mom's a drummer, professional. She travels all over the world. Um, and I was like, I really like this. This is an eclectic group of people. Everybody's coming from a different background in music. We can really create something special here. I have songs. We could turn them into whatever. Uh, I show up to the Battle of the Bands and with this band, this makeshift band that I titled Ange and the Damn Bands. Because so I was like, whatever, it could be any damn, any damn person can join. We didn't win, of course, but we started um, playing out. You made the finals, though. Yeah, recall, yeah, right? we, did. we did. We made the finals. Honestly, like, I really thought, okay, even though these are, these people have collected dust and have real history and you know obviously I have the utmost respect for their musical career I just didn't feel seen and heard I wasn't trying to be like the next obviously I'm never like no one should ever try to be the next Nora Jones but that's the kind of music that they were that they were making for me and I wanted to be Kelly Clarkson (laughs) one of the things that I've always just loved and respected about you is that you're putting on a show every time you're on stage and Let's face it, not everybody does that. That that comes from, I mean, I was a dancer my entire life. I was a competitive figure skater. I wouldn't say that I intentionally want to put on a show. Like, truthfully, like, my biggest dream, and I am working on it, one of my biggest dreams is to, like, learn guitar, basic guitar, which I've been working on. I've been, I've been practicing on ukulele with my baby hands. And I've been, I can sit at a piano. I really respect people that can play music. That way you don't have to do, (laughs) you don't have to vogue while people are actually, like when the bridge comes in and there's no vocal, when the guitar solo comes in. I used to be a a front man. I always thought about that. Like, what do I do during the guitar solo? 
<laughs> Sometimes the guitar or that the instrument that you play becomes a source of armor and protection when you're on stage. Like you, you can stand behind it and you can really use it and utilize it. I mean, I, when we had when we had Angie and the Damn Band, my favorite thing was the fact that we had the upright bass because we started performing out with rockabilly bands and psychabilly bands. So for me, I started out. In my mind, I started out in that scene, even though I wasn't playing that music, but right. I was playing like but, a version, my version but of the band, how I fit into because that. Because of those elements, had that vibe and attitude, you know? Like, you always used to wear that uh, Letterman's that jacket. That Letterman's jacket that had, I <laughs> that, you need which a tennis was, which shot. Which was so, you. Uh, you know, it just gave that vibe, you know, and that combined with like upright bass, it's like, wow, this is like it was a very rockabilly kind of vibe. Yeah, we to were it. trying to bring we were trying to bring some uh some throwback realness yeah, to it. Yeah, 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 like red lipstick was like on my chin by the end of the night. I'm like, look, it's not a good show if there's not a runner in my stocking and there's not red lipstick on my on my breastplate by the end of the night. Poor people that had to go after me before COVID. <laughs> They're like, oh my God, this hot pink microphone. <laughs> um, but yeah, the upright bass was was awesome. We utilized it in the show. I remember we would do like a variety show. We'd be on stage with like Coffin Fly and, you know, uh, and then we would have a burlesque artist up there and or a drag queen up there. And that's the kind of vibe that I enjoy I really miss it I miss I miss being able to put on that kind of a show because there's a punk rock element to it and you know I know that you were on South Street you remember those nights where where people would come out and they would actually swing dance my early 20s felt like reminiscent of my my grandparents Mm -hmm. youth yeah you know and that's something I'm I've always been very nostalgic and I've always wondered what would have happened if I had you know, grown up in that era, because there's something that's really, really old-fashioned about me um, that even vocally that I like to tap into. It's something I feel yeah. very comfortable there, how I'm built, how I sing, the style of uh, clothing, the, the style of the aesthetic of the time. I really like it. But I also love rock and roll. And I miss I miss seeing shows and I miss people going nuts and I miss people screaming and moshing and, you know, like, I think one of the last shows before the pandemic I saw was the Misfits and I was like, this is great. You know, like, I'll go see Tony and Gaga on the same night as I'll go see, you know, Iggy Pop. That's part of, like, what makes you you is that very wide spectrum of stuff you love. Like, you can't be pinned down. You know. Well, I think it's everybody, right? Like, do you feel like there's something that you'd like to explore that yeah. isn't typically I mean, the, the, something you've done? Like, well, there's a few. <laughs> there's always there's a list. There's a list. I kind of like became a teenager in the era of Blondie becoming big, so it was like a like a very new wavy kind of time. Oh, I wish. And I then punk rock, the Ramones and stuff like that. Like I always have had a hint of that in what I do with yeah. whatever band I'm in. But part of me wants to do, like you said, like a little bit of a screamy kind of just angry, like less melodic <laughs> kind of a thing. Just 
Just maybe an EP, maybe not a John, whole John, if you ever want to scream someone. Let's do like a, let's do like just an <laughs> We're coming angry out with a record where we just scream record. and we have like <laughs> diner mugs rattling. Right. I also have like an alter ego band that I've actually recorded some tracks in secret. It's kind of like a, a like a weird comedy. Uh, some of my friends already know what this is, but like the character is this guy who uh, basically is like an amalgamation of like all the racist rednecks that I grew up around in oh Newark, Delaware. God, so he's got a mullet. He's uh, also got a heart of gold. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like stupid, like the stupider, the funnier in, yeah. my, in, in my mind. And so like, <laughs> that's what I tell, you know, people I'm closest to. I'm like, all this other shit, you know, whatever band I'm in, trying to make serious music, writing a book, blah, blah, blah. It's all <laughs> to culminate in my ability to put this dumb joke so record. That no one, so no one thinks that this is really you. Right. But it is really you. But it is. That's the beauty of it. Look, this is, this is the thing, too, about it. So that's funny that you say that because it's kind of how I feel about this, this record that I'm putting out. Because uh, I'm going through this transition and this, like, I was, I was in this toxic thing for a long time. Um, you know, I still wish that person well, and I still think that obviously these things happen, I guess, for a reason. You just have to lose your marbles and your sanity. But um, I loved it because I was getting an education on metal. It's something that, you know... I wouldn't normally gravitate towards, obviously. Um, but I would go out to metal shows and I would go to shows that I didn't necessarily think I'd ever attend. And then I would see my bandmates out and I'd be like, you listen to this? And they'd be like, you listen to this? Everybody's like, a closet metalhead, right? I'm like, we're here. We're all here together, guys. Um, but during my grief of that breakup, I was really trying to make this record. So I went to New York and I I didn't really have music for what I wanted to make. I had lyrics and I had not really even any melodies for some it was like the first time I was going through a hard time where like I felt I felt like I just wanted to throw paint at the wall. Yeah. But I didn't have a specific color and I didn't have a specific I just had a feeling. And the the record that I made with Tom Charles and APC Quest in New York is coming out in the fall. It's like the weekend, but I'm screaming and I'm really singing. And it's it's the most me that That's I feel. Awesome. It's like a blend of pop, <laughs> but also I'm like screaming my dick right. off. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, I made that record and then I came home and I ended up... Uh, I mean, we could talk about this. It's, we're ha we have to have the mental health conversation, you know. I ended up in the crisis center a year ago because I was just in a very dark place. I didn't feel like I belonged to myself. I didn't know if I even wanted to sing again or make make music. I didn't know what was going to happen and uh, if the world was even going to reopen. Like, yeah. I have to make something while I have the time. And, of course, you have the time and nothing's coming. So, eventually, as I started to take, I obviously got myself into therapy, and I started to figure things out, and I, you know, laid off booze and tried to clean up my diet and, and my mind, um, I decided that I was going to make pop music for the first time, 
And it's the music that I grew up on. It's the music that taught me how to sing, R&B and pop music. And it's also something that I felt ashamed of. You know, you felt it's like that, you had to defend yourself. Right. Yep. You have to be this serious person before you can put it out. And I don't have any music out on Spotify. I don't have anything out. Like, I took everything down. I only, I'm like featured on a few different projects. Um, but I decided, I was like, this is going to kind of be probably considered my first sonic effort that I'm going to put out there. But there's a song on there. Uh, I recorded this via FaceTime with a producer. His name's Michael Anticoli. He's one of my very good friends. So you've worked with him before, or you've known him for a while? I've known him for a while. We met at Fergie's Pub when I was doing the open mic scene, kind of how I knew you. And uh, I got up and played piano with one hand. And he's a composer and a vocalist and brilliant. You know, and he came up to me and he was like, that was awesome, blah, blah, blah. And like, he told me later on, he was like, it was inspiring to see you like not even give a fuck with your ass, you know, the piano's here and you're basically like, your ass is like facing the audience. (laughs) And I'm like, fuck it, man. Like, let's just sing. Let's do our thing at the open mic. So I met him there. And then throughout time, he moved to California. We kept in touch. We've, we've become really close over time and he's brilliant. And uh, he, he and I decided that we were going to make a record together. He took the pandemic seriously. He bought production gear. He went to Kygo class. He started producing, and he's insane. He's incredible. But we produced, uh, he produced uh, the songs. Like, I would literally be, like, you know, voice memoing with my car keys in the background. I'm driving around, and I'm sending him stuff. And he's like, let's do this. Let's do this. And then he'll, like, produce it immediately and send me the track. And he's like, what do you want done to it? So I was like, finally, this is like someone I can collaborate and create a world with. And um, basically we have this ridiculous song that I'll send you after this called Pop Star. And it's basically, it's the first record, it's the first song on the EP. And it's a tongue-in-cheek record about me being like, oh, I'm a, I'm a pop star. I do this every day. You can't cancel me. You know, like... It's my alter ego of me feeling like, okay, I'm a pop star. I'm one of these Instagram hoes, you know. I'm <laughs> one of these, like, they can do it, I can do it. And I'm making fun of myself for making pop music. Because eventually I'm going to do something else. So I'm like, okay, this is that moment. And then we'll have a part two to that moment. And, you know, it's not the most fun to perform because there's no live band. Like, I'm so used to having a live band. Yeah. And it'll be fun, I think, when I get a live band together and I can actually morph it into a live set where, you know, it's a character. And when I was in L.A., I was like kind of I felt I felt like I was doing stand up in between the songs because I was like I felt ridiculous singing to a track. I was like, this is where the the wind would be blowing in my hair like Beyonce. This is where the fog comes in, guys. You didn't have a giant fan. I didn't know how to not have a prop. I'm like, how do people do this? But um, I get what you mean when it, when you say it's you have to do something serious to prove to yourself that the ridiculous thing that you really want to do meets some sort of merit. Yeah. Have you played a lot out there before? I, I have. I've played at this specific venue a couple of times. Like the last time I was there, I played with Will Brown. 
who, sidebar, I get to play in a band with in September. So, sidebar, <laughs> all y'all get to play with Will Brown because of me. No, I'm joking. Um, what's the name of the band? It's an artist who, I, I think you'll really dig her. It, her name's Beth Arnold Gilbert. Her vibe is very 90s alternative rock. Will played guitar on this record that I was kind of like brought in to kind of act as a vocal consultant, I want to say. I've been there. Like her voice is just really strong. Will is like the primary guitar player on that record. He played drums and guitar for me before it was legal for him to get into clubs. Like we were at pianos in New York and he was having an anxiety attack. But like... I knew as soon as he started playing out with me, I was like, everyone's going to be collaborating with him. That's what, That was the point. I was like, you're going to make, you're going to build such a community. What I love about working with him, like, so I just played a, <laughs> I just played a uh, memorial with him. Yeah, he's always been like my, my go-to friends. Like, he's just, he's honestly, he's my family now at this point. Out of everybody I've worked with, he's, one of the most lovely people. He's just, and that's the thing about even with my career, I feel like everyone's been so lovely, but we're all trying to do something. Like, you can't hold anybody down, you know? Right. Like, there was a minute there, me and Will were like flirting with this idea of doing like this she and him country duo, mm -hmm. which I still would love to make like a record, like a two track EP even. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's one of those people I'll be working with hopefully for the rest of my life. That's the only consistent thing that I have had musically is that I've had, I've been working with the same people. Like, I don't know if you know Joe and Alan Smith. I do. Yeah, I like do I've know been the working Smiths. with them for years. Yeah, so I know the, the Smiths through uh, the Fat City guys, mm -hmm. you know, because Mike Vivas and I and Jay Moralia, you know, they both played in different bands with me. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways, Mike Vivas and Jay Moralia, like, even though I don't live in South Philly, I feel extremely connected. Oh, you're a South Philly guy. We all know you. I've never lived here, but, like, some you're of my... South Street some of my, legend. Some, some of my dearest friends, they grew up here. I've had so many experiences in this diner with those guys. From my lens, from my perspective, you... I know that you've worked with Grape Street, you know, you're... You're known all over, but for me, and I think a lot of people would agree, outside of the fact that you are fucking like rock star for real, you have helped so many people get out of their musical anxiety shell, you know, just to sing and to do open mics. Open mics are so powerful. Having an actual musician up there hosting them, you know, you've done it all, you've played You've played the fair, and you've played the big stage. And you've <laughs> I played, have played the fair. You know? Um, I love the fair. Yeah. I still love the it's, fair. It's, it's like, it's a great introduction to to getting started. I mean, Dobbs, man. You're, you're a part of Dobbs. I appreciate you saying all that, first of all. I had never intended to, like, be an open mic host. But once I started doing it, I really came to feel that exact same way. I started playing a lot of open mics too, which I had never done up to that point. I was also in a project at the time where it was very essential to our development. Uh, I don't know if you remember John and Brittany. And, um, I was definitely there for, for that era. 
I think I get more nervous before going on at an open mic than I do any other show. <laughs> Why? It's just that... Because you have to have something different every time? Or? I think it's somehow I'm transported to the just starting out version of me. I almost felt like after a period, I was like, all right, I have to keep doing this because like it keeps you... Sharp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have new songs that are untested. That would probably be the best way to to go test them. Fergie's. I could go to Fergie's, yeah. Is Fergie's like one of your favorite spots? Mm-hmm. It was Fergie's and um, Dobbs. My first open mic night um, at the Grape Room, you hosted, and mm-hmm. I did with Will. He actually um, reminded me of that, because the first time I saw him after that, which was years later, he was playing, I think it was at the boot and saddle, I walked up to him outside, I was like, man, you were great, you know, I'm like, hi, I'm John, he's like, I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know. I played with uh, Ange at the grape room, like, the back, and I was like, oh, I'm an asshole, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> do you think, um, do you think boot and saddle's gonna reopen? I hope so. I'm I hope so, so pissed that I didn't get to perform there of all the venues because when I was a little kid, Rachel and I, because um, we we grew up here, you know, we went to we went to Epiphany and Garetti. Straight up, I apologize for my hoagie mouth, but I also am not sorry. Um, we would pass it. Our whole lives, right, that, and that it was sign. vacant. <laughs> right. It was vacant my entire childhood. Every time I pass that boot, now it feels like the old days when it was vacant, and I'm like, no. And I secretly hope like it opens again because I didn't get to play it. That's the other thing about this is a frustration of mine that I feel like I should mention. So I got I can book shows in LA, and I can book shows. In New York. I can't book for shit other than Ortlieb's here. Because Ortlieb's is my, you know, they're my, my spot. What do you it's attribute that to? I'm trying to open for people. I'm not even trying to, like, be a starring character or anything. I'm like, let me just open for people. I will bring people out. I'm not saying that I'm popular. I will promote it. That's totally me now, too. Like, I love being the opening act. Right. It's the best. Yeah, and then I get to watch the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's not about talent. Everybody in this city is, you know, this city is rich with talent. Yeah. This is not the city you come to and you're like, oh, everybody needs to learn something. Like, everybody's got something going on. Everybody's yeah. extremely talented and sweet and everyone's supportive. And it's just like you can't get your foot in the door, though, like if you want to get on a show. What I love about Ortlieb's is that um, if you're a in a big band like the districts and you come into town and you want to DJ, you can DJ, mm-hmm. you know, or even if you are nobody and you want to try, try something out, all you have to do is have a conversation with Kyle and, or Dana and they will, they'll book you. I haven't played any other venue and it would be nice. I'm not even like complaining. I just like, it would be nice. It feels like that's the hardest part of my career now. Yeah. Not that I have a career, but it's the hardest <laughs> part of my um, my journey is that in Philadelphia, I have a real hard time being taken seriously. And now I'm nervous. I'm going to put out this 
pop record, and people are gonna be like, who the fuck's she gonna open for? Everybody plays guitars here. Well, who do you feel in town, like, are your, like, I mean, just strictly, like, do you have any stylistic kindreds that you think would make a good fit for you, or? Venue-wise? Just bands or artists that... No. No. <laughs> well, no, it's not that. It's like, you know what sucks? And I know every woman is going to agree with me on this. It's like, if you're a female, you just get thrown up on stage, like, with other... With other females. Females. Yeah. And that's amazing. You know, I'm I'm for it, you know. I don't want to make it about gender or anything, but it just does, it definitely feels... Um, most of the time, it feels like it's that's the only way you get on is if there's another chick band involved. I feel like I've had to take matters into my own hands, like with my residency. If I could do something like that, even if it's once a year for me, where I can have shows back to back to back, and they're different all the time, and they're a different cast of characters all the time. The, the thing you did at Ort Leaves in 2019, I think I attended three of the four, mm. and it was fantastic, because you're right, like, you had, like, such a nice spectrum of, like, people that you love and it didn't even really matter if there was like stylistic jumping around because it right. was all just your night and it was great I loved it I like to incorporate drag and burlesque I liked that we offered tarot and we had makeup and you know uh, we had people selling their clothes and people you know it was like I wanted to basically embrace the idea of marrying a first Friday with a rock and roll variety spectacle. You know, we had a pole dancer. <laughs> a for rock and roll thing. variety spectacle. <laughs> right. Who else is putting on variety spectacles? In right. This town? It's Come like on. I want. I want it. When I go to a show, you know, I want it to feel like. Vegas in in a uh, black box. I don't know, John. Like, I feel like I've always been in this position where I've been... I obviously don't like authority. <laughs> got a problem so with I, authority. Right, got a problem with authority. I just feel like I'm always in a position where I have to do it myself and or I have to make shift a band or I have to make shift a song happen or... I'm with the wrong project or the wrong people or I, I, we start to develop something and it goes nowhere and it's like, you know, it's definitely taught me a lot about relentlessness and tenacity and, you know, I don't know if you know this, but like I lost my voice for about a year completely. I came back from LA, I had a gig and I went to Joshua Tree and I think I had an allergic reaction. I came back. I couldn't speak, and in my solitude and my silence, I decided that I was going to completely take my life seriously and my health seriously, and I was going to get my voice back, and I wasn't going to take shit from anybody, and I was going to take my life seriously, and I was going to be valued, and this is going to sound really like trite and narcissistic at the same time, but I don't give a fuck. I'm way too good, and I have, and I don't think that I'm just good. I have something to say. 
over the past few years, over the past five years, I've experienced a lot of loss. But I've, I have this ownership of my, my voice and my artistry. And I'm not going to let age stop me. And I'm not going to let this band didn't work out or this guy didn't work out or this situation didn't work out. I feel like as long as you're healthy and you have love and you have art or whatever it is that you want that that propels you in this yeah. life, mm-hmm. that's all you need. Ange Boca, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank her for such a great conversation at the Oregon Diner in South Philly. So until next time on Talking at the Diner, I'm John Kim Fay, and I'm trying out a new closing slogan, save me the corner booth, as long as it's not too close to the utility sink or the bathroom. Thank you. Good night. Everything is on the table when you're talking at.